Hello and welcome to Staying the Course, a podcast on navigating the challenges of lifelong learning. If you are new to the channel, do subscribe if you find this content helpful. Our guest for today is Dr. Suraya Hazim, a programming instructor, a digital artist, and a PhD graduate in volcanology. Hello, Assalamualaikum, Dr. Suraya. How are you? Hello, Waalaikumsalam. I am doing good. Alhamdulillah. Thanks for, for being here with us. So, um, the reason I'm having you today is in this conversation, we are interested to understand your motivation in continuously learning new things as evidenced mm-hmm. by your diverse interests in both art and sciences. Lah. I understand that you're also picking up a language. We'll talk about that later, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So we look forward to hear about the stories behind the learning journey on what keeps you going and driven into, into diving into these various facets of, of education. Lah. So if you are good, we can start, Dr. Suraya. All right. Okay, so hello, everyone. So like Esther was saying, if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe uh-huh. on your respective podcast station. Okay, oh. so um, hello everyone. My name is Dr. Soraya. I was a PhD graduate from the University of Liverpool where I studied magma intrusions using laboratory models. So I used gelatin as the Earth's crust and lots of lasers to image how lava moves through how magma moves through the earth's crust. Ooh, volcano mistake there. Okay, and I also do digital illustration, like Astrid was saying earlier. And currently I am learning a language, but we'll probably talk about that in a moment. (laughs) So that's a bit about me. Um, In short, if I had to choose three words, it would be scientist, artist, and educator. That is me. Right. Like I said Mm -hmm. earlier, you know, it's a diverse set of skills or endeavors that you have um, embarked upon. So we want to know what drives you, right? So you're currently teaching programming as well as you're doing illustrations, digital illustration. But your academic background is in geology and volcanology. Um, I was looking at your background earlier. I noticed that you were doing your bachelor's in geology, and then you did your PhD in volcanology. Talk to us about your journey in finishing that degree in geology, Mm -hmm. going into volcanology, dabbling in art, and going into programming. (laughs) I, yeah, I think those are um, high levels of competency to get those. But Dr. Soraya, talk us through your your story. All right. So, So I did my undergraduate degree in UKM. So like you said, I did my degree in geology. It was something that I really liked growing up. So a little bit of a backstory. My mom uh, was a geophysicist. Okay. Um, So I grew up going on field trips with her and she would point out different types of rocks to me. Under, Under no expectation that I should be a geologist as well, but it's sort of sort of vibed with me and I'm like, yes, I will go ahead and do something with geology. So I dabbled in a lot of things, like even earlier on, I did dabble between fields. So I went into geology liking paleontology. So study of fossils, okay, study of living things of the past. And later on, I got into petrology which looks at minerals and how things form in the earth's crust. And then for my internship, 
I switched sides and went into mining geology, where I did my internship at a gold mine. So yes, like you said, I'm sort of everywhere, but it's only because everything sort of interests me at some point. (laughs) But volcanology has been something pretty special to me. So the first time I saw a volcano on TV, I'm like, can I be somebody who works there? Because that looks cool. And my mom was like, yeah, there are definitely scientists who do volcanoes. So you can probably do that. So when I was given the choice to field to go into for my PhD, I was like, oh, there is a volcanology project that looks pretty interesting and combines different things. Another thing that I like, it's like, how do you bring things together? So it was an interdisciplinary project. So I was like, ah, this, this kind of sounds like what I like. So got in touch with my supervisor and she was like, yeah, come on in, join us. So yeah, that is the short, long-winded story about how that came to be. Right. And then how, how did we arrive at coding? Yeah. (laughs) How we arrived at coding, basically short story, the pandemic hit. Oh, okay. It's quite recent then. (laughs) Quite recent, very recent. So I've only been with the company for a year plus. So basically the pandemic hit, I was fresh out of my PhD. Mm. And if academic jobs were hard to come by before the pandemic, Mm. after the pandemic, it was just worst. Yeah. Yeah. So Basically, um, I was I was back from the UK. I didn't have anything to do. I was waiting on an academic job, but mm. that wasn't happening. So mm. basically, I was like, okay, let's let's just have a look at what there is out there. So even normal geology positions or um, site investigation type things, those were really hard to come by. So I was like, maybe I'll go into science communication, but even that is quite a new field in its own in Malaysia. So Mm. I was like, okay, you know what? We'll we'll look at what's available. Mm. And I was scrolling on Facebook and my boss still doesn't believe that I found them on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) But I looked on Facebook and I was like, um, programming teacher for kids and teenagers. Mm. And I was like, okay. And they're like somebody who has a background in coding. So Mm. I did use a bit of MATLAB and R in my PhD. So I was like, okay, so I've done a bit of programming. I definitely did learn programming during my foundation, C++, one of the most annoying languages to learn as a beginner. (laughs) But they they wanted Python. So I was like, okay, if I could learn C++, I could probably also teach myself Python. Mm. (laughs) So that's sort of how I got into it. And then I met with the owners and they liked me and took me on. I see. So, you know, I sense that you are a very curious person from the way that you were fascinated by, by things, right? Do you find yourself, do you define yourself as a curious person from a young age and, and even today, Dr. Sreya? Yeah. So um, when I grew up, I think I was a pretty curious kid. So mm. um Basically, um, I grew up in the States because my mom was doing her PhD at the time. So naturally, I think anyone would tell you that American kids are very annoying. 
They ask <laughs> everything. And that was basically me growing up. <laughs> it's like, mom, why is this this? Why is this this? So yes. that got to a point where when I got to school, like nobody had really told me off about it and the first time i stepped foot in a malaysian school my teachers told me to keep quiet (laughs) so it was that turning point actually that i became very 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 introverted like i stopped being that curious kid it's like okay so i have to do this i have to wear my uniform this way i have to be writing it like this so i stopped questioning things so i did grow up curious but it also took some time to unlearn the rigidity of the system growing up. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I guess the one thing about you going into geology, that's taking inspiration from your mom, right? Mm-hmm. And going into programming is just picking up from the skills that you picked up when you were doing your, your uh, postgraduate studies, right? Mm-hmm. Drawing, illustrating, going into digital arts, was this also something that you've been doing since you were very, very young? Or was it something that you pick up uh, later in life? So I dabbled in coloring and also... <clears throat> so I dabbled in like drawing and coloring, but I wasn't really like into creating when I was younger because of what I mentioned earlier. It's like, okay, like the sky has to be blue. The grass has to be green. You have to color it this way, or it has to be drawn in a certain way. So at the point, at that point, I was just not the most creative, but I also liked the little moments where I could draw. So whenever I went over to like family friend's house, they would just leave me with a pile of papers and crayons. And those are the things that I enjoyed. But in school, not so much. So basically there there was like a want to do more art, but it's not something that is highly encouraged in schools, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 And that is also one perception that I'm keen to break here because it's quite binary, mm-hmm. right? In our yep. school system, you know, mm. you go in, you, if you go into the art stream, this is your career path. If you go into the science streams, it's your career path. But I think of late, um, the skills are becoming more transferable across industries. Sure. You know, you're having behavioral scientists going into technology companies and so forth and all of that, right? So, um, and... I was looking at your YouTube channel. There was one mm-hmm. um, lecture that I mentioned earlier that I thought integrated art and science very, very well. Um, I've done a lot of presentations myself. I just want to get from point A to point B in the quickest you know, duration possible. But I think you put a lot of effort into the aesthetics of it so that the experience of being in the audience is different. Dr. Soraya, so talk to us on your intent, on your, on your, as well as your motivation in illustrating your science through your art? Okay, so a lot of my interest in communicating comes from being on the receiving end of all of these lectures. So if you just think about your typical lectures in university, so they, they kind of tend to get a little bit monotonous or maybe it, 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 they are slides from the early 80s where it's a green background and yellow text and a full wall of text as well. So being on the receiving end of that, I realized that 
you're not really picking up anything from those lectures or from these talks because of how they look or how it is conveyed. So what I wanted to do with my personal lectures is to give that personal touch, especially in this pandemic era where we're not doing things face to face anymore. So just wanted to give that extra touch of like having a person talk to you and teach you something. So that's why I put a little bit more of myself into my lectures when I do them. And yeah, that helps to connect, to engage people a little bit better. And especially in things like sciences, where it's easy to just, like you said, go straight to the point and say, here's my equation. Yeah. This is a graph. It mm. looks like this. But if you're speaking to a wider audience, like people who are not from your lab, not even in sciences, then they'll be like, so what does that mean? So that's that's sort of my motivation behind it. I see. And, and with, with regards to illustration and, and visual arts, right? Who do you take inspiration from or what do you take inspiration from? Um, I can imagine like studying volcanology, your field trips must be really fun. And I think a lot of visuals can be, can be in, taking inspiration from there. But who or what do you take inspiration from in the art that you express through um, your works? So when I was in secondary school, a lot of my good friends, um, they liked to draw a lot. Like these were the ones who would draw like full scale anime with background type of drawings at the back of their notebooks. And I, I wasn't into drawing yet at the time, but one of my friends gave me her drawing tablet to try once. And she was like, you know, even though you have you don't draw in our style, you have your own style. Try adding your drawing. So like I sat in that chair for like three hours with her. So she would draw something. I would add something to it. So that that sort of like helped get me into it. But I wasn't fully into it until probably in university when I was like, oh, I get to be my own person now in university. So it started with doodles in the margins and then yeah took off from there yeah and i was looking into some of the works that have been commissioned to you i think there was a book cover that you did um yep. advertisements that you've done before um now that you are busy teaching is this something that you are doing as a freelancer or are you also trying to integrate it in teaching programming because <laughs> i can see how that's quite cumbersome as well so <laughs> how are you how are you applying or enjoying your your illustration works so at the moment actually i am working with my former lab so um, again working with volcanic plumbing systems and i will be doing some illustrations for the lab and in my classes actually i actively use my stylus <laughs> to scribble little things like explaining how does an algorithm work to, because basically my, my students, their age group, the youngest ones are six and the oldest ones are about 16, 17. So at any age in that range, they don't like seeing words on a screen. So to complement what is going on there, I use 
little scribbles on my screen. So for example, like how do you explain an algorithm? An algorithm is a set of steps for you to achieve your goal and they have to happen in order. So sometimes I would draw, how do you make a fried egg? You don't just chuck the fried egg into a pan. You will have to crack it open first. Make sure your pan is nice and hot. And they enjoy adding to that. <laughs> Hmm. Uh -huh. so what do you think my daughter is seven and um she plays with scratch a lot uh, and i'm mm. sure one tool that you're using as well what how do you what how what's your take on that form of education because that's a take of taking visual art um mm -hmm. in teaching programming right yep i'm sure it can be emulated in other forms of, of education as well um, what's Definitely. your on that on Scratch specifically? Because I find that she finds she finds it enjoyable, and I think it's just trying to shape their thinking into. It is right. So, what's your mm -hmm. take on that? So, um, when I started the job, that was actually the first time I came across Scratch, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like, I wish I had something like this in school. Like, even though it's block programming so to us adults it just looks like you're dragging a command and dropping it and adding another command but actually it does take a lot of thought going into it like the physics of your character does it bounce off the walls what happens when it collides with another character and even integrates like the art side of things where you design your own characters so if you have a ninja game for example how do you get it to have a shadow how does the enemy magically pop out of somewhere? You draw your own characters, you design them, you think about the color scheme of your game. So this is what I find very fun in my current job because I get to encourage these kids to make their own thing. And I highly encourage them to just try, put it out there while also helping them to think with a with algorithmic thinking basically. So arranging their thoughts, planning it, if it doesn't work, telling them that it's okay to break it apart and put it back together, because mm. that's something that you don't have in schools. It's like, how did you get this wrong? Mm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but with coding classes, I always tell them it's okay if you don't get it wrong, if you don't get it right the first time. So right. that's completely fine. Yeah. Mm. My last experience with coding was doing c++ in college and i i think I oh got my c++. goodness i think i got a c plus object oriented programming and that's all i oh object oriented programming as oh. well yep so that's oh, one of the, one of the modules fun. i teach at school at the moment okay so i yep. wish i was i wish they had scratch when i was in college i know same because, right. uh, yeah, so in, in UM, so I went to uh, PASUM, so yeah. the foundation center, and we did yeah. C++. And we had to do a lot of things by hand as well. So shout out to Mr. Zed, who taught us. But we had to write our codes by hand. I remember we wow. had like a three-hour paper where we had to write the code for a vending machine wow. that would... Um, disperse more and give you exact change so we had to write that all down by hand but i that that just gave me a deeper appreciation for having the right code and arranging your thoughts properly right right yeah so, you know now going back to yourself as a learner right mm -hmm. well you were in the hard sciences and then the pandemic drove you to go into programming in the in the long run, in terms of your vision, do you intend 
to go back into research and teaching in the future do you have that in mind in the horizon you know as we cover post pandemic yes Or how do you how do mm-hmm. you view, like you know are you going to play by ear <laughs> what's what's the what's well the... probably probably um so i don't know if you know of the series how i met your mother yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so um my friends like to joke that i'm the ted mosby of the group i sort of like <laughs> go with what happens because yeah so that that is sort of how i take things so if there is the opportunity and you know one day i get to go back then you know if the time is right and that is what's going to happen then i'll go with it i i like to see where roads take me at the time that those happen mm. so at the moment i don't have any like solid plans so to speak i just like to see where the road takes me basically Right. Okay. But but teaching people is something that I do like. Mm. And so, I see that you were you taught at Teesside while you mm. were, while you were at Liverpool, I think, for for four months. Talk to us about this teaching experience. Was that your first teaching experience? Um, and now you obviously you're teaching every day, right? How was that? <laughs> yep. How was that? Um, Yep. So um, the teaching at Teesside was actually done remotely. So that was sort of in the middle of uh, between my final corrections and also graduation. So again, another moment in limbo, but taking things as they appear. So um, my supervisor reached out saying we need um, some people to cover some lectures for Teesside. Because again, things were happening and they needed staff on hand. So I was like, okay, you know, like this is a good first teaching experience. And it was a first year model. Um, so going into metamorphics, I was like, okay, I will do this. So that is how I got into it. So I contributed remotely and the module director said that it was very nice and the students liked it. So I was like, yay. <laughs> great, great. Mm-hmm. Um, And now, now that you are doing your teaching of programming, mm-hmm. um, you're also learning a language. Yes, language that's I very am. popular now. They're taking over. <laughs> Not sure. Indeed. You know, mm-hmm. their food is everywhere. Um, <laughs> my kids can't get enough of their music. But <laughs> learning Korean, my guess mm-hmm. is that you're binging on a drama. But tell me what's the story behind your... Um, pursuit in the Korean language. So, go dialing that a little bit further back. Mm. I've always been interested in languages. So, languages is my other love in life, basically. So, um, when I was growing up in high school, my obsession was with anime. So, I tried to pick up Japanese, but then kanji was a bit too much for me. So that that got abandoned. <laughs> And then uh, when I was in my undergrad, I was very into the Bundesliga. So I tried to do German, but my Deutsch is nicht gut. (laughs) And after that, basically, I I didn't really consciously go into Korean because of the dramas, because I didn't actually watch a lot of them outside of like Winter Sonata way back when. And my um, university friends really liked um, Running Man and stuff, but I wasn't really into it until I sort of came across some like 
linguistic take videos. So one of those videos where they break down songs and different proses, for example. And I was like, oh, so this is this looks like a pretty interesting language. So yes. basically, I got into it because of the linguistic side of things and the culture. And eventually, everything else came tagging along. So then I got into the food and the dramas and all the YouTube channel and also, well, music. <laughs> I see. So yep. what level are you are now? Um, like BTS? Song <laughs> level or you know <laughs> well well i i probably wouldn't be rapping any of minyungi's lines any day soon but um according to the sedong test that i took recently i'm level 1b <laughs> okay so bit still a beginner but okay. quite yeah <laughs> if if you get lost in the middle of soul round you should be able to get find yourself around True, true. I'll I'll be able to read the signboards and there is always Papago and Naver to help out. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that is sort of the pursuit okay. at the moment. My second last question. Mm-hmm. You're always learning and you you overcome barriers in learning, right? You never question your own capability and you just dive into it. What's your learning? What's your philosophy in learning? Is there any particular um, belief that you hold on to or any particular value that you subscribe to when it comes mm-hmm. to learning? Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about you know getting it wrong, no, no harm getting things wrong and, and so forth. But are there any particular belief that you subscribe to? So I think I was lucky in a sense that Uh, My mom was always happy to answer any kind of questions that I had. So even though school was a different experience for me learning growing up, my mom was always very supportive of that. And basically, like the me today that feels like it's okay to make mistakes and, you know, it's okay to learn things or relearn things or unlearn things. That was only something more recent, like so during my PhD, I was still very much in that mindset of don't ask stupid questions. Mm. You should know this. You are a PhD student. Like, if you have any problems, like, no, don't show it. You should be able to solve it. So I was very much ingrained with that Mm. until basically I hit a breaking point during my second year, I think, where I had to basically tap into the counseling services, really do a deep dive into why I'm thinking like this or why this is the way I think. And it was only after that that I slowly began to understand my way of thought and also why people are thinking the way they're thinking or how people respond to things. So basically, only then I sort of like broke out of my shell and then I'm becoming more comfortable with being okay with not knowing things so if if i were to like distill it it's do not be afraid to learn one for one thing don't be afraid to learn don't be afraid to unlearn things because some of the things that you're ingrained with sometimes maybe it just needs to change and don't forget that it's okay to relearn things so Maybe it's something that you learned in school that you don't remember about. It's completely fine to relearn it. So, mm-hmm. yep, mm-hmm. just having that attitude. Right, right. And I uh-huh. think that's, that's encroaching a bit to the final question that I have. But before we go there, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the three points that I'm taking note of from our past half an hour conversation is number one is the value and power of curiosity. You've exemplified how um, curiosity have driven you to embark upon many areas of study across the sciences and the arts, right? Mm-hmm. Two, I think you've demonstrated flexibility and also learning agility in trying to absorb the many areas that you are diving into, right? From volcanoes to the Korean language, right? <laughs> and number three, as you just mentioned about earlier, then that there needs to be a point of self-discovery whereby we unearth the true potential and also the true clarity in a way on where we want to yeah. Yeah. So curiosity, learning agility, and self self discovery is my takeaways, and I hope the audience. I'm I believe I believe the audience will have similar views as well on Dr. Suraya's sharing. Now, my last question. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned we spoke about earlier briefly on the binary nature of the current education system here, right? Whereby it's either arts or or sciences. I've had a lot of students coming to me and asking whether the decision that they make at 16 going into form four on which stream to go would determine what they be doing for the rest of their lives. And time and time again, I say that that decision that you make at 16 might influence what you do in life, but it won't definitely be the defining moment of of all of Agreed, agreed. Right? Yeah. So if a if a sixteen year old goes to you, Dr. Raya, mm-hmm. ask the same question. You know, I'm I I have got a good grade for my PMR. We don't have PMR today, but <laughs> we don't a, have I've PMR a, anymore. Oh my god! So yes, got, I've got a selection to go into mm-hmm. the stream or, or or the the science stream. I'm not sure where I want to go. I enjoy doing the arts. I don't mind doing sciences. What would be your advice to such a question? from that 15, 16-year-old? So I would, I would sort of get them to have a, have, a, have a talk with themselves and think about what they, they think they value the most in their education. So if, the, if they're the type who don't mind learning a lot in the future, then, you know, like any path you go down, even if it's the arts, even if it is the sciences, then, you know, anywhere you go, that will be fine. But um, basically what, well, something that I, I think I would tell my past self as well, because I remember feeling quite uh, disheartened because um, I, I told my teachers that I wanted to go into the art stream, mm. basically. Okay. But I was told that my grades were too high to be in the art stream so I was like uh, (laughs) but also now older me has a has an appreciation for the fact that I did learn those hard sciences which then helped me on my path but that is not something you get to see going forward because hindsight is 2020 but yeah so I I would say that yep making that decision is hard but also shaping yourself, knowing yourself, and also, you know, taking each day as it comes, then they should be all right. Yep. So, so that, yes. Mm-hmm. That question is a conversation with your younger self, is it? 
Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was quite quite annoyed that my teacher said that to me when I chose oh, it. Yeah. But but then again, I, I, I do like learning. So I didn't mind the three, four extra mm -hmm. subjects that I needed to <laughs> handle. But yeah, everybody is different and nobody knows yourself better than you, even if you only know yourself 14, 15 years down the road. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Alhamdulillah. So, Dr. Soraya, thank you so much for your sharing. Um, thank I you for having me. I know that you can be found on surayahazim.com. Mm -hmm. right. Although is I there... haven't updated that in a gazillion years now. <laughs> Are there any other channels that you want people to find you or is this website the, the place? So, prob probably you can find me on my Twitter account. So, that's at surayahazim. So, Currently, it will be a lot of, you know, just musings about everyday life and also the hilarious things that my students are up to in my classes these days. So, yep. But yeah, that, that is usually where I'm at. <laughs> Great. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Dr. Soraya. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you for having me. You. Um, okay. My best wishes in all of the things that you're doing. Yeah. And to you too and your podcast. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, take care. I might drop by if I'm I'm at your school. <laughs> yeah, come, <laughs> come visit in Kota Damansara. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do have an age limit though, so <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but yes, oh. feel free to come over and say hi. <laughs> thank you mm -hmm. so much. Bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye.